going to be in Revelations chapter 8. We're going back to our um, teaching through the book of Revelations. The Bible tells us that there is a great blessing in reading this book, that God is going to bless those who just read it. And so, um, and so I pray that that would be something that, that would be a motivation for you to understand that this is a good thing for us to go through and study through. We are going to be in Revelations chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. I know you've already stood a lot, but if you have the means and you're able, I would ask you to stand one more time as we read this word. Revelations chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar of God, <clears throat> on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the waters. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of all their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to sound. You can be seated. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, before we go any further, we want to recognize that this is your living and powerful word. God, I have no power to accomplish anything with this. Even if I were able to stir up some kind of emotion, it wouldn't be lasting. Father, the truth of your word is the only thing that changes our heart. It is the only thing that has the power to truly save. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we... As we read this word, Lord, that you would help us to have the correct interpretation. Father, I pray that you would cause your word to accomplish its purpose. Father, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you send this word out, it will not return unto you void. 
you will cause it to accomplish the purpose that you sent it out to do. And so, Father, I put my faith and my trust in that. And, Lord, I ask you to send it out. You send it out. You speak to us. Lord, speak to all of us, me included. Father, you show us what you want us to see from your word tonight. Father, we come to you this morning on behalf of any families that um, have lost loved ones this morning. Father, we pray um, uh, for the Smith family, for the Durham family. Father, we just pray that, um, Lord, you would comfort them. Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, we know where Miss Smith is. And, Father, we know where she stood with you. Father, that gives us great hope. And we thank you for that. I pray this family is able to take comfort in that this morning. Father, I thank you for Mary and Tommy and them being able to come home today. And, Father, I just thank you for, um, uh, Lord, just showering us with your grace. God, we deserve to be struck dead, to not receive another breath of life. But, Father, you're so gracious to us. You're so merciful to us. And, God, we thank you for that this morning. And, Father, we just pray for the rest of our family that may be dealing with any sickness this morning or or whatever strep or flu or whatever else is still going around. God, we lift them up to you and we ask you to heal their bodies. Heal them if it be your will. But Lord, give us faith to trust you, to know that you are good whether you give or whether you take away. Blessed be your name. Father, we love you. We praise you. The service is for you. And we just ask you to speak to us through it this morning. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you earlier, we're going to continue this series through Revelations. And I know that um, it can be a confusing book. I know that it's a book that many people have stayed away from. The truth of the matter is, this is the first time that um, I can remember it being taught from this pulpit in many, many years. And so um, I don't want us to think that it's a book that we can just um, neglect and that uh, it's okay because there is some confusion in it. That there, because there's mystery in it, that we don't need to even look at it. I hope that you can see that um, if God put it in His Word and He gave His Word to speak to us, then it's important that we spend some time in it, correct? And so this morning we're going to continue that. Just to recap just a little bit of where we've been, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 said that He wrote this book to show His servants the things that must take place. So one of the purposes behind this book is that God wants you to see what must take place. He wants you to know it. He wants you to understand it. And so this book is meant for you to understand it as much as the Holy Spirit will allow us to understand it. And so in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, he tells John, who is writing this book, he tells John to write the things that you have seen, write the things that are, and write the things that are going to take place after this. So there we have an outline of how this book is going to be laid out. That chapter 1 basically is the things that John saw first. And when you read chapter 1, it's basically the glorified Christ walking through His churches, judging them, or, or more, more correctly, uh, leading them, guiding them, trying to steer them in the right direction. And John wanted us to see, and more specifically, Christ wanted us to see, that He is in the midst of His churches. Even though you do not physically see Him right now in His glorified body walking through the aisles, if we are a church of Jesus Christ, He is here right now. He dwells among us. And so we see that in chapter 1. In chapters 2 and 3, we have the things that are. Namely, the things that 
Christ saw when He inspected the churches, when He walked through the churches. He basically called out seven churches and He wanted these churches to, to know this is what I see when I walk through you. And there is a church in there that represents every church from, from the time of churches until the time the churches will be no more. You are represented in one of those in some way or another. In chapter 4 we get to see all the way to the end of Revelations the things that are to take place after this. So again, as we interpret it, we see this outline taking place that after chapter 4, we're looking at future events. Now there are some that don't interpret that away, and I'm not saying that we're right and they're wrong, but I do believe that when we look at it, I teach it this way because I believe that is the accurate interpretation, that chapter 4 through the end are future events that are to take place. And so when it, what we see in there is that there's worship going on in heaven right now, there is going to be judgment on the world, and there is a new creation that is coming. And all of that is laid out in Revelation chapter 4 all the way to the end. And in chapter 4, you get to see a view into heaven, the throne of God, and everything that is taking place around the throne of God. And so if you wanted to go to chapter 4 and read that, just understand, the whole focus of chapter 4 is about the throne. This is what's happening on the throne. And God is getting ready. And worship is taking place in heaven. And He is preparing to take vengeance out on all evil in this world. In chapter 5, we get to see a worship service like no other. As the search goes in chapter 5, they look throughout heaven. They look throughout the earth. They even look under the earth. That is to say, they look everywhere there is to look for just one person who is worthy to open the scroll. There is this scroll and it is sealed with seven seals. And they're trying to find somebody who is worthy to open this scroll. And what you have in this scroll is the title deed, as John MacArthur would put it. And you can go back to Jeremiah chapter 32 and you can see the comparison of why he calls it the title deed because this is the way that they did it and this was just the routine that they followed. And so he has this title deed that is sealed. But the one who is worthy to claim the title deed is the only one who can open the seals. And so there is a search that takes place and they're looking for the one who is worthy. And John begins weeping because in all of heaven, in the earth, under the earth, everywhere they look, they cannot find one who is worthy to claim the right to all of this and to open the seal and take claim back on it to recover it back to its, to its uh, eternal purpose in which it was created. And then one of the elders steps up and tells John, quit crying, don't weep no more. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah that's the reason I like songs like we sung this morning. I love songs that just drip with the Scriptures. That whenever you see something, you can't help but point back to this Scripture and this Scripture and this Scripture and this Scripture, and it's just dripping with the Word of God. I, I, I love that personally. But the line of the tribe of Judah is right there. The root of David, the one who has ransomed people for God from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. He is worthy to open the scroll because He has paid the price to claim it all and it all belongs to Him. And He takes the scroll and as He begins to open the seals in chapter 6, that's what you have in chapter 6. He begins to break the seals one by one. Now remember, just picture it. You've got this scroll and it's rolled up and it has seven seals across it. 
And as he breaks one seal, all of a sudden the first thing that happens is there is a false peace that comes into the world. He breaks the second seal and then there is war that breaks out. Peace is taken from the earth and men slay one another in world war. And then he breaks the third seal and because of the world war, famine comes over. And the Bible tells us that in that next seal that literally you will work a full day's wage and that wage will be enough to buy you one meal for one person. And if you're a father with a family, what does that do to you? You've got to decide who eats. The famine comes in and then the next seal is broken and death comes after all the war, after all the famine and death comes in. And the Bible says that in that seal a quarter of the people are taken in death. Now just to put that in perspective today, today you have some 7 billion people on the earth. You know what a quarter of them would be? Basically it would be 1.75 billion people. That's how many will die just in the first set of seals that are open. And then there's another seal that is open. And in that seal there is great persecution that takes place in Christians in this world. And many are killed because of their faith. And then the sixth seal is open. And the sixth seal comes in and when it's open, the fire falls from heaven and everything, just all judgment pours down. And literally this meteor shower comes down and kills many more. And then the Bible tells us that the great kings and the great men of this earth, that they run to the mountains and they hide and they cry out to the rocks, please fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and from the one who sits on the throne. And then there is a question that ends chapter 6. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, question that ends chapter 6. In chapter 6, the question ends with all that, and the question is, who can stand? So they look at all this that's taking place just in the seals. The scroll ain't even open yet. Just the seals. And they look at what's taking place to reclaim all this just in the seals, and they say, who can stand? And then, then chapter 7, we get the answer to that question. God seals 144,000. We believe they are Jews because He names that they're from all the different tribes. We believe that they are specifically 144,000 Apostle Pauls that have basically been converted to Christianity during this time. And they go throughout all the world and they spread the gospel. And then what you see at the end of chapter 7 is the, the result of all of their hard work. You see the multitude of people that have came in because of their ministry. And then we get into chapter 8 and we're ready for the seventh seal to be opened. So now that you're up to date, let's see what happens in the seventh seal. Chapter 8, verse 1. <clears throat> when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, the last seal is broken, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now there are many people that uh, believe that this silence was just basically the the moment of silence before prayer because prayer is fixing to be offered, and it could be. Uh, there are some people that, um, th th that have other beliefs on where the silence comes from, that, that they're just astounded that at all that has taken place, and that's why there's silence, silence in heaven for, uh, for half an hour, and it could be. Me personally, I believe that what has happened is when the seventh seal opens up, guess what happens to the scroll? It opens up too. 
and now they can all see exactly. Now listen, they've just watched everything that's taken place just in the six seals. And now the seventh seal has opened up and the scroll is open and now they're looking at it and they see exactly what takes place. And I truly believe that maybe it is a moment the silence before prayer is offered, but I believe maybe more accurately is they look at it and the only thing they can do is with jaws dropped, all they can do is stare at it. Remember, at the end of chapter um, 6, the question was, who can stand? They looked at everything that's taken place and they come to the end and they go, who will make it? Will anybody survive this? And God says, yeah, yeah, people are going to survive. And then they stand there with jaws dropped as they see what's fixing to take place. So very quickly, let's walk through the, the seven trumpets. This is not where I want to put my focus, so I am going to be quick. Y'all just stay with me. I'm doing this so you get all of it in as much as possible. Uh, verse 7, go with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned, and all green grass was burned up. Basically, here's what you've got. One third of all vegetation and all crops are gone. One third in all the world. It's gone. The land is completely affected. In verse 8 and 9, the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the first, the first trumpet you had land affected. The second trumpet you have the sea affected. And basically what you have is a third of it is wiped out. Can you imagine if a third of the sea is dead and a third of the vegetation and the crops are now wiped out after what we've just seen in the first six seals? A third of the ships are destroyed. You know what that means, right? Even even the third of even the two-thirds of the world that still have vegetation and still have sea and still have some animal life, they can't get it to you. They can't get it to you. The sea is affected. Sh ships, creatures, all of it turns to blood, probably from the blood of the animals that are in there, or maybe it's from uh, the, the red tide, as they call it. Who, who knows? But whatever it is, the sea turns red. The sea turns to blood. The third trumpet, verse 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had made it so bitter. And so what you see there, again, now, now picture this. Basically, the, first, the second seal was that there's something like a great mountain that's burning that's cast into the sea. More than likely, a great meteorite, a great asteroid, something of that nature burning, thrown into the sea. The tsunamis that come from that wipe out all the ships, wipe out, it kill everything in the sea. And now the next one that hits, it don't affect the sea, it affects the fresh water. Listen, you can live on a... Um, a low food diet you can actually make it for a while but if you don't have water guess what happens you don't make it and so here we see that a, a, a third of the fresh water is affected and again this is just the, the beginning of birth pains as Jesus said when Jesus walked you through this in Matthew chapter 24, when he got to a certain point, he stopped and he said, and these are just the beginning of birth pains. You know what birth pains are, right? How many of y'all women in here ever experienced birth pains? How do they start out? 
Oh. And then there's a, oh. But eventually it gets to a point to where it ain't O's anymore, is it? The O's get a little bit louder. And so what you have here is just this, this little, it hits, it hits, it hits, it hits, and it just keeps coming and it keeps coming and each one affects you just a little bit more because there's a new creation that's giving birth here and it's coming. The fourth trumpet, verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. So basically you got here major eclipses of a third of the sun, moon, and stars. All light is reduced by one third for day and night. This is probably going to lead to possible major weather changes. So many things are affected by this. And then, again, I don't want to spend my time here. Verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an angel crying. I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. You think this is bad. Just hang on. It's fixing to get worse. But my focus is not on that this morning. I want you to know what is going to take place because that is the purpose of the book. But my focus is on the prayers of the saints. I want you to go back with me again to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. He said, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now again, I believe the scroll has opened and I believe that these... The, all of heaven is now looking at what we just read. And you didn't even get to see the three woes that are fixing to happen. And then after this three woes, there are seven bowls of judgment that He pours out that literally are just rapid fire one after the other. And so they see all this and I truly believe that silence strikes heaven for half an hour. Now, it could be for other reasons. I don't know. But it would seem to me that that is likely the case. But then in verse 2 he says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now don't let this surprise you. Y'all remember the battles of Jericho? One of uh, Austin's favorite songs. Joshua fought the battles of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And the story goes like this. There were basically seven priests with seven trumpets, and they marched around the wall for seven days, seven times, and on the seventh time, on the seventh day, they blew the trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. And what you have here is seven angels, not seven priests, seven angels, seven trumpets, and seven years of tribulation. And the walls are coming tumbling down. The trumpets were always used as a, as a sign that judgment is coming. And so that's all this trumpet does. But then in verse 3 he says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now what I want you to learn from this, I want here's the first thing if you're taking notes. This is important. I believe this is something that God, I believe there's a reason God put this in here. And here's what I believe He wants you to know. Every prayer of every saint 
is heard and stored up on God's altar and not a single word has been lost or misplaced. Listen to me. You ever wondered about those unanswered prayers? No such thing. Every prayer of every saint is heard and it is stored up on God's altar and not a single word has been lost or misplaced. Look at verse 3 again. And the angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Now if you were to go back and study 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you were to go back, there are several places that you can see at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Ephesus, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 you would see that a saint is not Mary Mary is a saint but not in that way Mary's no more a saint than you are or I am the Bible tells us very plainly that the saints are the ones that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb the ones that have been called and chosen by God and have been sanctified being made holy if that's you you're a saint and every prayer of every saint, of all the saints, have been collected on this altar in front of God. And not a single one has ever been lost. Not a single word that you have ever uttered in prayer has ever slipped by and missed its mark. It went exactly where it was supposed to go. And what you see here is that not a single word is going to go unanswered. He's going to answer every one of them. You might remember last week we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, and if you weren't here, I want to encourage you, not because I preached it, but just because of the Word. I want to encourage you, go back and listen to that message. Go back, pull it up, Facebook, YouTube. There's many different ways you can read it. It's a, it's a very needed message for each and every one. Every person that claims to be a Christian, you need this. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But one of the things we learned from it, is that everything in the Old Covenant, whether it be tabernacles, temples, or animal sacrifices, they were shadows of good things to come. They all pointed toward a spiritual reality. This is what God is going to do. When they took a lamb, that lamb would never pay for sins. But what that lamb did do is it pointed to what God was going to do. Y'all with me? In the same way... <coughs> Whenever we go into the tabernacle or into the temple, everything you see there represented something that was taking place or was going to take place spiritually through the life of Christ in some way or another. And so one of the things we learn from that is that there is a spiritual reality taking place in heaven that the old covenant, whenever we saw them do this, this is what it represented. Now you might remember in the old covenant, you may not know, basically here's what you had. You had a, a tabernacle when it was in the tent, when it was a wilderness, before they built the temple. They were both structured the same way. But whichever one you went into, when you first walked into the grounds of it, you had a brazen altar. This is where all the burnt sacrifices took place. The payment for sin had to be made before any wood could enter into the presence of God. Now once you entered into the presence of God, you had two sections in the temple. You had the holy place, which was the first section, and then you had the holy of holies, which was the second section. In the first section, you would walk in. I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm going to get to this point. 
you would walk in and there would be a golden altar, not the brazen altar, a golden altar that was standing in front of the veil. The veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. No one went into the holy of holies except the high priest and him only once a year. And so we have this golden altar that sits in front of the veil. The priest would come in and he would take fire from the brazen altar where the sins have been paid for. He would put them in a censer or a golden cup basically. And then he would add incense that's been made by a perfumer and he actually gave command that nobody else could make perfume like this. This incense represented this and this alone. And he would take this incense and he would put it into the censer with fire. And then this priest would come in there and as the incense burned, he would take this golden censer and he would wave it in front of the veil. Right behind the veil is the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat where God Almighty's presence rested. He said, this is the place where I will come and I will meet with you. So God sits on this mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant while this incense is being burned from the sin offering that has just taken place and from the incense that's burned and it takes place twice a day. And so He's waving this in front of the Lord and the Lord's sitting there. Now what does that mean? Well, go with me. Let's look at a few scriptures. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1 through 8. For time's sake, I'll read it quickly. Just stay with me. Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, or a cubit basically from the elbow to the longest finger. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit its breadth. It shall be square. Two cubits shall be its height. Its horns, it had four horns on the altar, shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make the rings, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. What does this mean? What does it represent? Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 8 through 13. Now while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he's the priest out of all the priests that have been chosen to do this duty. All right, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now here's what you see in this, and I could take you to other scriptures to show you, but just stay with me. The priest is in here and he's burning this incense, right? The mercy seat is right in front of it. The people are outside. The people are praying. The priest represents the people and he stands here with the incense and as the incense goes up, the prayers of the people are going up. 
The incense represents these are the prayers of people going up before God. And not a single bit of it is being lost. It's right in front of Him and it's being offered up directly from His altar right in front of His seat. And as they lift up this, God breathes in every prayer of this fragrant incense and it smells great to Him. Alright, and then in verse 12, or verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. The point being, when you look at what's taking place in Revelations chapter 8, you understand why they did it the way they did in the Old Covenant. They burned this incense before the Lord with the prayers of the people and as it both came up, it was a fragrant aroma to God. God loves the smell of the prayers of His people. And so He desires for you to offer up these prayers and every one of them are not, none of them are slipping by or going the other direction. They are landing on their target and they are accomplishing exactly what they are supposed to accomplish. No matter whether you see an answer yet or not. But what you get to see in Revelation chapter 8 is the future. That every prayer that has ever been heard, God takes and He uses that. And Here's point number two. The saints' prayers are the fuel that God uses to take out justice on our adversary. The saints' prayers are the fuel that God uses to take out justice on our adversary. Remember, look at verse 4 and 5 of Revelation chapter 8. In verse 4 he said, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer. Now remember, what's in the censer? The prayers of the saints, the fire of the sacrifice. And he takes the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. And so what can we learn from this? This is the fuel that God uses. And He takes... Remember, the Bible says you don't take vengeance out on yourself, right? For nothing. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do you know why vengeance is mine? Because He's going to right every one of your wrongs. And so we give it to Him. And right here we get to see. We get to see all fire from heaven break loose and the fuel of it is partly your prayers. It's partly your prayers that you have prayed. I want you to understand something. All of your suffering finds its root in our adversary. You know that, right? Even if it's your own sinfulness. Listen, I, I know a lot of things i got to take credit for myself. I can't just say, well, the devil made me do it. There are some things that just, my sinful nature, I did it. I reap what I sow. Yet at the same time, that sinful nature came from the very fact that he stepped his butt in that garden and decided, that He was going to cause my first parents to fall from grace. And so what I want to be able to do is recognize that every suffering that ever takes place... If you're a Christian, you do know that the closer you get to God, the more Satan comes and asks specifically for you, right? 
And so what we have here is the, the evidence from the Word of God that all of our suffering finds its root in our adversary. Look with me at um, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. This is a parable Jesus told about prayer. And He told this after describing what the days were going to be like when He comes back. Basically what we're reading about in Revelations. So He tells this parable, I believe, in response to probably a question that the disciples either asked or He knew they were having in their heart. And I believe that question was this. How are we going to make it? How are we going to stand fast? How are we going to endure to the end? And so Luke chapter 18 verse 1 is Jesus' response to that, I believe. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart in praying. You ever lose heart in your prayers? You ever quit praying? Men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And here's the parable He told so that they do this. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to this judge saying, Give me justice against my adversary. This is a poor widow. Widows have no one, right? She don't have anyone to help her. This is her only source of hope. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. So in other words, I don't want you to think that the Bible is comparing God to an unrighteous judge. Just the opposite, contrasting. He's saying, if an unrighteous judge who does not fear God, he don't respect man, he has no motivation whatsoever to help this widow. He's unjust. He don't care about justice. If he can be moved, to give justice to somebody that he don't even care about for something he care, has no concern for, then how much more will God hear your prayer? Look what he says next in verse um, 6. I'm sorry, verse 7. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them and speedily. And then this is a very scary verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Will there even be genuine faith? You know how many Christians are in the world today? Jesus said, I don't even know if I'll find faith when I come. But if you want to maintain yours, I tell you this parable to the effect that you should know men should always pray and not lose heart in their prayers. We keep crying out to God and our cry is, give me justice from my adversary because everything that I endure in this life, every sinful action that I lay my head down at night and go, God, here I am again, is a cry that says, God, get me justice on my adversary. Every death of a child, anybody in here know what I'm talking about there? I got some people's attention. Every death of a child, every rape of a child, I get the rest of you's attention there. Every bit of it is, Lord, every school shooting, every 
every inability to be able to pay your child's next meal. Every, I don't care what it is. Every bit of suffering in this world finds its root in my adversary. And my prayer should be, Lord, get me justice on my adversary. And at this moment, we have the angel taking all those prayers for every wrong that you've ever felt, for every sin that's ever been forgiven, for all that the adversary has brought on this world. And he takes all these prayers and he shakes it in front of the altar of God. And God sits on His throne here in Revelation chapter 8 and there's complete silence while this is happening. And He just sits there with these prayers and goes... And He takes that censer filled with all those prayers. Get me justice on my adversary. Get me justice off thy adversary. And He throws it to the earth full of fire from the altar. And when He does, there's flashes of lightning, there's rumblings, there's peals of thunder, there is earthquakes that take place. And sit back and get ready because here it comes. The seven trumpets are ready to blow. Now that brings me to my last point. And I've actually got a bunch more than this, but this is the last one I'm going to give you from this. The saints' prayers should be kept coming Day and night, we should always pray and not lose heart in our praying, guys. Now, can I tell you what scares me about this? The problem I see with this is that most of us, and I'm going to put myself in this category, most of us have gotten so comfortable with this cursed world that we don't really require justice from our adversary. We're pretty content with it. I'm okay here. Everything's good. That's a problem. That's a huge issue. The truth of the matter is, that's a curse of living in where we live. Now, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. We live in what I still say is the greatest nation in the world. Yet, we have become so comfortable with the way things are here that we don't pray and we lose heart in our prayers. And I think part of that is because we're not looking for justice. We don't really see the suffering anymore. We've gotten numb to all the that We turn on the news and it's just another church shooting, another school shooting, another kid molested, another broken home. Another death, just another day, right? I think that we have gotten too comfortable in this world. You know, we don't know how much we are like this old widow. See, she knew she was poor. She knew that without this judge, she was helpless. She knew it. And when you know that, you go to the only place that you have any hope. But if you have hope in everything else, are y'all with me this morning? If you have hope in everything else that this world has to offer, you don't go to Him. You've got everything you could ever want. And that was the problem that happened in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you go back and you hear Jesus tell the story, He don't just talk about the homosexuality and the sexual immorality in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says they were building, they were planning, 
They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day the flood came. Until the day the fire fell. They found everything they needed in this world and it proved that they didn't need Him. And that's the heart of our sin. God, we don't need you. And so I'm telling you, men ought to pray every day. If you go back and read Luke chapter 18, you see where I get that from. He says, she kept coming. The widow kept coming. Do you understand what that means? She couldn't go nowhere else. There was no other well. We're studying on uh, Friday nights. There wasn't no other well to go to. Every other well she went to to draw came up empty. This was the only well she had. And she knew it. We don't know how much like that widow we are. We don't realize that this judge is our only hope. We don't know that we are poor and helpless. But now here's what's even scarier than that. Here's what's even scarier than that. Maybe the problem, maybe the reason why we don't know that we're that widow is because everything is so good for us, the devil and our adversary is completely content with leaving you alone. Maybe the fact of the matter is, you remember when Satan came and asked for Job? It wasn't while Job was out living in sin. It wasn't while Job was just enjoying all the things of this life. God said this, Have you considered my servant Job that he is blameless and upright? There's none like him in this generation that he fears, evil, that he fears God and shuns evil. You remember what Satan's response was? Oh yeah, I've considered him. I've had my eye on him. And I'd love to get to him. But I can't because you've got a hedge of protection around him. But let me get to him. And this is what will happen. And God says, okay, hedge removed. Maybe the problem is our adversary ain't asking for us. That's a scary thought, ain't it? Maybe the problem is he knows we're so comfortable and so content with where we are and we're not praying and we're not getting closer to God. You remember when Satan asked for Jesus? The moment before Satan asked for Jesus, this was Jesus' conversation with Peter. His whole disciples, Jesus said, every one of y'all are going to leave and depart from me and you're going to run away from me when this happens. You remember what Peter said? Not me. I don't care if all the rest of y'all do it, I will never leave you. Now let me tell you something. You ain't ever as close to Christ as you think you are. But when you get to that place even, to where you're so solid that He's my life, that I'll give everything for Him, those are the very moments that Satan is stepping up going, <laughs> let's just see where you are. And maybe the reason why we're not like this widow is because we've never been there. Maybe the reason is we are so content and so happy with it. And that's a scary thought. Again, this ain't me just trying to make you feel this small. Because <laughs> when I read it, and I listen, this point came to me first. And I said, Kevin, maybe this is the reason why you don't pray like you ought to pray. Maybe the problem is you don't know you're the widow. Maybe the problem is you're so content with all of this stuff that the adversary is not even really asking for you. 
Yeah, a trial here and there, just enough to keep him on his toes. But that's about it. And I'm not asking for more. <laughs> Listen, I ain't wanting to be Job. I ain't wanting to be Job. But you know what? Probably be an honor. Probably be an honor. And I hope that one day I am in a place to where Satan wants me. I hope one day future generations are reading stories about me. Satan came and asked for him one day. This is what happened. This is what he did. This is what it looked like. And he was found faithful. I hope that's my story one day. I close with this. We ought to always pray and not lose heart in our praying. And if you understand how broken this world is, even in spite of all your comfort, you'll be praying. And then I want you to understand that every prayer that you ever pray, every word, not a single one has been misplaced. Not a single one has went unheard. I don't care how many tears you've cried. I don't care what's happened. He's not sitting up there unaware of what's happened in your life. And one day, that is going to be the fuel that He uses to take out vengeance on the very one that is responsible. And all those that follow Him still, He will take out vengeance for you and I and for all of us who have cried out to Him day and night and who have kept coming, and we will get justice, and it will be speedily. And that's a promise from Him. If y'all would stand this morning.